1: The Jack White and Third Man Records History Program, and I am your co-host, Paul Kaminsky. Whoa, trying to get the energy up here today. Yeah, I know. Well, it's 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 gonna be it's gonna be same energy for me because I'm sick again. I'm your other co-host, sick and tired, James Kaminsky. I'm gonna leave that one in. Just that one, no more. Just that one. Yeah. Um. So that's that's my 2021. I was. Look, I was sick-free in 93 for all of, like, a month or two, and now I'm back back at it, I'm back on my bullshit. <laughs> I got sickness in my lungs, and... <laughs> I got fever. I, <laughs> yeah. Paul's bringing it back to Jack White, the, the, the premise of this show, a Jack White history podcast, not a sickness podcast. Yeah. Well, somewhere in that word salad was the premise of our show, and James, today, we are going to be talking about... Oh, A jolly good, a jolly good topic. Is it, is it, is it pirates? Is it Englishmen? Is it? Oh, it's not a knife. It's, oh, it's Australia. Oh, pip, pip, pip. I love how you said keep this concise and we are doing the opposite of that and I love it (laughs) to pieces. It's the Geico lizard? Are we talking about the Geico lizard who was Australian and then turned British? Pip, pip, pip. Uh, We're talking about the uh, very, very exciting thing that happened this year, James. We're going to do a spotlight episode on Third Man Records' London location, which opened in the last couple months, and we're just so excited to talk about this, eh? You got that right, mate. This shop is the uh, latest in Jack White's ever-expanding Third Man Records retail empire, it seems, Mm -hmm. and it is the third... Uh, in his series of shops so there's some nice lovely synergy to that and Jack White's connections to jolly old go back quite a way I guess most earliest and most famously the album Elephant of course recorded at Rag Studios in Mm -hmm. London, England and that was the, the album that really like just catapulted Jack White and the White Stripes into the stratosphere and so it's very fitting to have like a nice little homecoming for Jack in a way of the country that supported him and meg in those early years so much and the opening of third man records london was just another feather in the cap of third man records and we're going to spotlight the opening here today james yeah it was quite the show and uh was a big surprise launch we had a lot of fun uh was that arg augmented reality game where they were doing uh yeah, where they were doing absurd scam records and trying to get everybody uh, guessing on the on the Instagram. That's right. Yeah, and we didn't know what that. was. I think we thought. Well, I don't know. I thought maybe it was attached to a new album for a little while before I had any conception of what it was. And as it turns out, there was a new album, but it was unrelated. <laughs> yeah, well, maybe it was related at one point in time, and then the li- the timings just didn't line up. So. Yeah, so we're going to get right into it here. So we have a very special guest joining us later in the program to talk about all the various exclusive initial releases for Third Man Records London, Mr. Jamie S. Rich. Jamie is a um, a writer and an editor and a, uh, a creative personality in both the worlds of music and in entertainment over the last 25 years or so. And Jamie's got a, a new Netflix series coming up, Lady Killer, alongside his collaborator, Joelle Jones, which I have to recommend anyone who hasn't read Lady Killer, which is a wonderful comic by Jamie and Joel. Check that out, and then look forward to the new series coming soon. But... Before we get to Jamie, we're going to talk a little bit about the opening of Third Man London and a little bit about the show that took place there to help launch it. Because the opening of Third Man Records London gave us Jack White's first new concert performance in about a year since his Mm -hmm. SNL performance, and it was uh, conducted there. So what I'm going to do here, James, is I'm going to read from the official Third Man Records statement about the opening of Third Man Records London. It says Jack White and Third Man Records today announce the opening of their first ever Third Man Records store outside of the USA. And I should mention the date on this was August 10th. Situated on Marshall Street in the heart of London's historic Soho, an area renowned for its rich musical history, The London store will complete a trio of third-man physical spaces that includes buildings in Nashville, Tennessee, and Detroit, Michigan. Located at 1 Marshall Street, London, the store will officially open on Saturday, the 25th of September. It has been personally designed by third-man founder Jack White, who recently launched Jack White Arts and Design via a comprehensive multimedia website cataloging two decades of his award-winning creative work alongside the third man creative hive of artists. I love that hive. It's very nice. The store was conceptualized and created throughout 2020 and 2021 during the COVID pandemic with the aim of creating a physical space to help keep record sales and live performances alive after such a tough period of time for everyone. Now that's pretty cool because all throughout the pandemic, we were hearing about these new albums coming from creative folks uh, who were in lockdown and working on them? Obviously, McCartney Three is one of those. Taylor Swift's Folklore and Evermore were also in that mix. And I guess I remember James saying to you, "Boy, I wish Jackie Boy would be working on some new stuff." And as it turns out, he was. <laughs> yeah, we were unsure uh, because he was doing so much with the other with his other projects, namely upholstery and his arts and design materials. And he doesn't like to be pigeonholed into, you're gonna make music because you're a musician. And so I just assumed he was exploring other creative outlets while he had the time to do so. And to hear that he was making music was exciting. But the London opening was just another piece in that creative outlet, I think. I I wonder how long he was sitting on that building for a while. I mean, we have precedent... For him buying up a space in hopes of a future project. More info <laughs> on that to to uh, come. Yeah, yeah to in, come. in a future episode, right? Yeah. So I wonder how long he had this idea for, and was it purely COVID-based, or was this just an opportunity he had during COVID to to be able to uh, to kind of transform this place in a time when he wouldn't have otherwise been able to or or commit the resources to it.
0: Treated you.
2: At first I was a little bit worried about what I was going to do with myself but I I've, 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 hate, hate to say it I've, I really enjoyed it in a way because it's, it really forced me to do all kinds of creative things that I, I had been pushing back and pushing aside for years and I, I, re- I started working on furniture again and uh, which it, it, I'd taken a big break from and, and re- upholstering and working on projects with furniture and, and so I, I did a lot of that at my upholstery shop.
0: So you are, I think, about to get on a plane, or you were heading for the UK. Will you tell us why you're coming here to London?
2: The best reason ever. <laughs> <laughs> we're opening, we're opening a Third Man Records in London, so it's uh, it's been just a glorious like uh, journey trying to get to this moment. We, for years ago, we talked about, wouldn't it be nice to have, you know, another location of Third Man Records somewhere else in the world? And we we thought about different locations like Paris and Tokyo and, and but everyone would immediately just come back and now if we ever did do that it would have to be London first yeah. and foremost you know we used to have such a history with the country and that city so much and, and Ben Swank uh, who, who's one of the higher ups at Third Man he lived in London for years when I actually imported him back to America from London to, to work <laughs> at Third Man and so we, we have this great connection and, and the White Stripes really uh, my, my band really Kind of blew up in London first, and then and then it got bigger in America. So, and like we were talking about earlier, like these experiences mm, yeah. with John Peel and the, the London garage rock scene with the, uh, all Billy Childish's bands, and we we uh, we just have a long history with that. And, and we and, and no one and nowhere else in the world do people love music more than than in uh, Great True. Britain. You know? So yeah. it's it, you really feel that whenever you have a conversation with somebody at a pub or just, you know, having breakfast. It's like everyone's always talking about music.
1: Third Man Records London will be multifunctional, tripling up as a two-level retail space, an intimate live music venue named The Blue Basement, and a European headquarters for Third Man Records. It will feature a host of the kind of quirks, details, and idiosyncrasies Third Man have become renowned for the world over. These include a Third Man book's token-operated Lucky Dip book machine designed by the Toronto-based artist Craig Small. Titled The Literarium, it is only the second of its kind in the world and much loved by the likes of Margaret Atwood. The store will also feature a Third Man Records token-operated recording booth where artists and the public can record their own materials straight to vinyl. Simply uh, another version, it seems, of the one that he has in uh, Nashville currently. Yes, giving opportunity to people in Europe to be able to experience this kind of novelty lounge area you know cuz the cost to get over to nashville or detroit for europeans was always very high and the cost to import records especially from things like third man is is incredibly high and so this this is really giving rise to a cheaper alternative Right. <laughs> uh, to be able to to go to these places and experience these things. And if you want to buy a record, you don't have to pay for $50 in customs or whatever. You can literally pay $30 to take a train to London or whatever and, right. and pick up the album. Yeah, and, and Europe and England in particular have not just been kind to Jack over the years. They, I think, propped up a lot of the Detroit sound in the early 2000s and late 90s when we talked to these people in the dirt bombs or whatever group they always say oh we went to europe or we spent a lot of time in england Mm -hmm. and i think that there was a real support you know for that and we know that jack was i think a bit more even popular in terms of chart performance in britain at some junctures of his career not necessarily throughout the whole length of it but i think that this is a nice way of supporting those fans who have been so supportive to him and his fellow Detroit rockers over the years. So I'm just, I'm really happy that they have this opportunity. To continue on with the statement here, the official announcement follows much speculation and guesswork from eagle-eyed third man fans who noticed the painting of eight fake rotating storefronts at one Marshall Street. These fronts included Swank's Muscle Tea Emporium. Pretty good. Jack Sharp's upholstery tax. Pretty good. Harry Lime's penicillin, all of which claimed to be under the umbrella of the fantastical, absurd scam family of businesses. Last week, all UK subscribers to Third Man Records, the vault subscription service, received a physical invitation for the 25th of September to the grand opening of one of these scam companies. (laughs) Furthermore... In celebration of the opening, Third Man Records approached some of their favorite ever UK artists, as well as some Motown contributions from Detroit. Paul Whaler, David Ruffin, the Jesus and Mary Chain Corner Shop, Gina Birch and the Raincoats. Mm-hmm. And the great lost Manchester group, The Magic Roundabout, to record something brand new or contribute something previously unheard to the Third Man catalog. These exclusive releases will be available to buy on black vinyl on September 25th from the Third Man Web Store, at all three Third Man Records stores, and independent record shops everywhere, and on very limited edition vinyl.
2: Third Man Records is, uh, you know, we, we only sell the things that we produce or that we're a part of. You know, it's, not a, it's not a regular record store. So it's really a boutique, you know, uh, that it, it's, it's just exposes people to the things that we're trying to. Uh, produce or, or, or uh, be involved with creatively. It's so everything from brand new bands uh, that just came out this week to old records that are obscure that have been out of print for decades. And and it's just a little bit of a taste of uh, um, to try to turn people on to, to entering to, you know, better worlds, bigger and better worlds, you know, to things that they love. If you have a slight interest in the blues and you can come pick up a uh, Charlie Patton record uh, here and then. Uh, next year you, you can move on to to having a lifelong appreciation for that you know so we i guess we just we kind of consider these locations just little almost churches really that they're all this like, a little sanctuary to walk into and have a unique experience and hopefully get turned on to something that you didn't already know about
1: James, before we get to this interview with Jamie, I just want to talk about one last thing here. Is it Jack's blue hair? Because it's (laughs) great. Yeah, well, he's got that too. But So Jack White, as we mentioned, at the debut of the store, the opening, the grand opening on September 25th, performed a concert live on a nearby rooftop to all the fans in attendance. And that is really, really freaking cool. We talked about that earlier in the show. The set list, very cool, reminds me a lot of the kinds of solo set lists we've seen before, and at the time of this recording, he has announced some tour dates coming up next year to support his new record, which is awesome, and I hope we hear some of this, but of course we had Jack White, Dominic Davis, and Daru Jones performing as a power trio, the track's Hello Operator, Why Can't You Be Nicer To Me, awesome, Mm -hmm. 16 Saltines. What's done is done. Oof. Wow. Wow. Is what I have to say to that. Good. Awesome. Good one. Good call. I, Good pull. I cut like a buffalo. Not a surprise. Love Interruption. Also not a surprise. Icky Thump. It'd be a surprise if he didn't play that one. Mm. Deadly's in the Dirty Ground. Another not a surprise. Lazaretta, which this power trio crushed on Saturday Night Live. We have Steady As She Goes. We're going to be friends and seven nation army what a set
2: ah! on a locker as as a magic marker
1: It has never disappointed. Uh, they they seem to be the go-to group for short notice shows. They do a lot of the demo materials, or at least they did with the Copper Sound guys, the SNL show, and yeah, it's it's great. Uh, Daru plays really well against Dominic. I've talked to several people about this, but Daru's just, and I think Jamie mentions this too, if I'm not mistaken. But but Daru's just like a he's a very passionate drummer. And is pronounced and hitting the drums and standing up. And then you got Dominic in the corner looking cool and laid back. And they both play well against each other. And and then you have Jack, who's there kind of leading these two different dynamic forces. And it's it's an enjoyable group. Like you say, there's such a nice chemistry there. I don't know who's going to be on the album, but I would actually love to hear them as a band. (laughs) I have a feeling now, a feeling deep inside. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Uh, (laughs) oh yeah the first album is going to be purely Jack White this is quarantine completely every instrument McCartney like Mm. in that regard Jack White the second album is going to be songs that he deemed necessary to have a band a a Mm. band a bond a a, bond a bond a band because if you look at the albums you have taken me back on the first one Fear of the Dawn Fear of Breaking Dawn the movie and you have on the second album you have taking me back gently which has many other artists on it so i'm wondering was there some uh some is there some play at that i know we're we're not speculating on the new album here we're talking about the show in london but still do we know has the has the track listing for yes. both been mhm they're and not identical though right no they? no they no. are not the only okay. similar one is taking me back and taking me back gently i see okay but yeah he, you could see, uh, you know, you could you could read into some of the track names and try and figure out some of the inspirations and stuff through there, but, you know, it's I'm interested to see the, the credits on, on both of those. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Well, I'm also interested to hear this wonderful interview <laughs> from Jamie S. Rich. Should we kick it to that, James? Let's, hey, let's kick it to our third person this week. We haven't said that in a while. <laughs> Welcome to the third men podcast to Jamie S. Rich some would say a legend in the world of sequential art. I would say a lovely human being and a writer and an editor and
3: what you know what, what is
1: going on with Lady Killer wasn't that picked up
3: Lady Killer yes, it was uh, optioned option by Netflix. And uh, Diablo Cody writing and Blake Lively starring. I don't know what the progress has been. I'm like, wow. I'm like the, the spare tire of Lady Killer. Like, <laughs> I stepped. <laughs> I worked on the first series somewhat and helped develop it, but eventually, like, yeah, I stepped away. So it's it's Joel Jones's um, uh, vehicle at the moment. So once yeah, the deal was signed, they're like, yeah, go. I took my. I, I'm going to take my spare tire and go. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm letting them run with that.
1: That's a lot of fun. I love Lady Killer. That's a great book. I it, it should say, you know, Jamie and I know each other through the world of comics, but Jamie has been a, a, a musical inspiration to me as well, a knowledge spring. We're going to hear all about it. And Jamie's here to walk us through these Third Man Records London releases, which I only knew he had When he sent me a text message that said, "This is Kaminsky porn," and it was a bunch of Third Man Records (laughs) merchandise. (laughs) Which that text could have been a number of problematic things, and uh, it was really the best of the best it could have been. The best. Uh, Hi, Jamie. I'm I'm James. It's nice to meet you officially on the podcast while we're recording instead of off (laughs) off mic. But hi, I'm also here. James is also here. Hello. All right, Jamie. All right, you maniac. Tell us a little bit about your background. You had mentioned just before we recorded here that you hosted a public access show. I want to hear about that. Yes. I know you ran a record shop, or you at least worked at a record shop in the Portland area. I want to hear all about that. Tell me what you grew up listening to and what your musical journey was up to this point. I want it all.
3: So my first LP was the Lady in the Tramp soundtrack, and my wow. first 7-inch was Elvira by the Oak Ridge Boys, which I wish I nice. still had. But I really got into music uh, around probably sixth grade when uh, Seven and the Ragged Tiger came out. into Duran Duran I would consider that like my first favorite band um, okay. and so listen to a lot but yeah growing up in the 80s in Southern California people forget how eclectic the 80s top 40 was because you would have Prince <laughs> and Adamant and Depeche Mode and Madonna alongside you know Steve Winwood, all alongside all, all, all the '60s guys who like were just dying on cocaine and <laughs> synthesizers. Um.
1: We'll, we'll get to one of those a little later yes. in our discussion, actually. Well, so are you talking about early Duran Duran? Because I'm to understand there's a difference, a sea change in early Duran Duran versus pop Duran Duran.
3: So I got into them. I probably the peak, which was like yeah. New Moon on Monday, The Reflex, Union of the Snake, uh, just before a View to a Kill. Yeah, and then yeah, there's there's various waves, but I think of the first wave after Seven of the Ragged Tigers when two of the members left, and then they did they did a couple of really great albums, Notorious and Big Thing. That was also when there was the not Robert Plant was the other guy's name, the Addicted to Love guy. They had Power Station, which was oh right, half, yeah, half of Duran Duran, and the other half went and did Arcadia, which I think is like one of the best things that they did as a, as a Robert. You know, Palmer, Palmer, there you Palmer. go, Palmer, yeah, yes. um,
1: Palmer,
3: and the yeah, early '90s Duran Duran fell off for a little while. They'd have a couple of radio hits here and there through the next couple decades. Yeah. Band members would come in and out. I haven't heard. How do the, you feel about the wedding album? How, that one, that fit I, in? that's a good one. That was kind of. Yeah, like oh, they're gonna. That was the first, like oh my god, they've got it again. And then the next yes. album was right back,
1: terrible. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah I agree.
3: Um, <laughs> I haven't heard the new one. I'm waiting for the vinyl to arrive, but it's getting very good reviews. Uh,
1: I saw the like a uh, single that they were dropping. I follow them on Facebook, and so I get a lot of Duran Duran posts. But uh, I just kind of then go, oh nice, they're back. And then I yeah, kind of. <laughs> Turn yeah. off Facebook and continue on my life, but in um, fact uh, consequences Sound had a photo of Hillary Clinton with them yes. this morning oh, yeah. I think. yeah,
3: I saw that I was I guess they were yeah doing interviews in neighboring studios.
1: Uh, this is the fake Hillary by the way, the, not the one that died during the campaign that nobody knows about. this is correct. the one that they replaced her with, right
3: if you look at her crossing the Abbey Road from that interview, <laughs> she has bare feet uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> So yeah, then yeah, got through high school. I got into hip hop and early hip hop, and continued to listen, find like the Smiths and darker yeah. K. Rocky stuff. And for me, the '90s was all about Britain. I could not yeah. could not care less about grunge and sub pop, even though I lived, moved up to Portland in '94. Uh, so I might. Might as well have been an alien uh, wearing cowboy boots. Um, it's
1: like if you moved to Liverpool in the 60s and you're like, the Rolling Stones rule. Yeah,
3: exactly. <laughs> but it was great because, I yeah, the Ozone Records used to be across from Powell's Books was the big punk rock store. And they would get in imports every week. And I would go in every Saturday morning and clean them out. And eventually they figured out who I was. And they started like asking me, like, what do you want to order and we will order <laughs> You tell us what else to get. Um, so I was really, that was like singles wars. So you'd be buying like two CDs and a seven inch just to get all the tracks and the B-sides. And so, yeah, that's a habit I've hung on to probably too much, uh, <laughs> which led me Were to this, buying the
1: CD singles? It was the 90s after that. Yeah,
3: which has led me to this uh, third man excursion. But uh, yeah, it's, there was a point in Portland. I did work at Ozone for a while. We did have a pop all Access TV show called All Right with an ampersand.
1: Not, not right. to be confused. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
3: Just No T. All right, Just All right. Yes. Yeah.
1: Did you? So you were in Portland. Did you make zines for Oasis instead of like the bands that were popular in Portland at the time?
3: Funnily enough, um, we did. So I did actually met Oasis on their first tour because they played. Really, they played the crappiest punk rock club in Portland, <laughs> and everyone else, all the hipsters were at Reverend Horton Heat that night. And so I have a signed Definitely Maybe with Liam Gallagher's signature, which is, like, the hard one to get. Like, I've had people Whoa. offer to pay me for photocopies of it. It was so hard to get. Wow.
1: Jamie, did I ever tell you I played for my eighth grade talent show, Married with Children? On yes, a you did. guitar. It's <laughs> <laughs> a great choice.
3: Uh,
2: There's no need for you to say you're sorry. Goodbye, I'm going home. I don't care no more, so don't you worry. Goodbye, I'm going home. I hate the way that even though you know you're wrong, you say you're
3: right. I made one zine with the the All Right co host. It was her idea. We were traveling to San Francisco to see pulp. And it was the most brilliant idea she had because we ended up in front of the line for a signing at Virgin Megastore. We were selling these fanzines. I think they were called Juicy. And the manager f- saw us and talked to us, and he and we said, "Oh, we drove like you know 16 hours to get here." So we got all the VIP passes. We got extra tickets to Los Angeles, all from this wow. idea of making this silly fanzine that we did one issue of. Um, <laughs> That's awesome. That's a very
1: '90s story, though. Yes, yes, <laughs> quintessential. So you were my guide a little bit for when we did the shoegaze episode. I had consulted you a little bit because I had intuited that perhaps that kind of music would be up your alley. And in fact, some of the stuff we're going to talk about today has a little bit of, a little bit of crossover with shoegaze. Not yeah. all that much, but a little bit. And all sort of coming around in that sort of same area in the '80s and the '90s. And so that's your that's where you were kind of coming from. And how did you hear about the third man London releases? Was it just in normal trade press stuff? And then you decided to pick him up? Like, how's that?
3: It was in? probably through a Paul Weller Instagram account. Um, so I'm a gotcha. huge Paul Weller fan. For folks that don't know Weller, he started off in the Jam in the 70s and was the Style Council in the 80s. And. Then became a solo artist and has in the '90s and has been like running strong ever since. Um,
1: the mod father,
3: the mod, exactly. And so the Jam was there, the, this punk rock offshoot that was doing more mod style music, and then like Style Council, they went in a completely different, smoother, almost acid jazz direction at times, and embraced house music in their final album. A bit of a chameleon, but has, and had, st- interestingly enough, gotten like more traditional and experimental throughout his career at the same time. Yeah. And so, what he did for Third Man, which uh, what I read somewhere was that he he wanted to m- make that Detroit connection, so he did a seven inch covering uh, three different Motown songs.
4: Oh, yeah.
3: Nice. Uh, so going Going to a Go Go, I'm a roadrunner and What Does It Take to Win Your Love. Well,
1: yeah, let's start there. So we're gonna talk a little bit about each of these Third Man London releases with you, Jamie. And I guess we'll start with Paul Weller, but there are six in total. And the Paul Weller one, this is the official Third Man copy. It says, This very special seven-inch comes to us from the one and only Paul Weller of the Jam the Style Council, as you mentioned. The Mod Father chose three phenomenal Tamla slash Motown tracks by Smokey Robinson and Junior Walker and the All-Stars to cover as a nod to Third Man's Detroit Roots, complete with a Tomla-esque sleeve design. Single was cut and pressed at Third Man Detroit, just two miles away from the original Motown studio. Now, I have a passing knowledge of the jam in that there was a time where I downloaded their entire discography thinking, I'm going to get into the jam. And then I listened to a couple tracks and I went, this is hard for me, and I I didn't continue. It's one of those things where... Sometimes the mood will just strike me, and I'll find a discography, and then I'll listen to two tracks and think, this seems like a lot of hard work. Mm Kind of like when I sent you a request to try and, like, yes, and you're like, all right, and then you heard one song, and you're like, I think I'm done. (laughs) I think I'm done with yes. It's fine. uh, I'll get there. I like roundabout. I mean, I'll get there eventually, you know? By the way, all of the London singles are hilarious in the forums, the, like, third-man forums that we're all, me and Paul are a part of. When these came out, you constantly had English people not understanding how Americans don't know who these artists are. <laughs> They're like, how you realize there are other people besides those from America, right? And every American going, I have no idea what a Paul Weller is. It was been a hilarious journey to watch these these arguments unfold.
3: So yeah, and the, so the tragedy is, is that there is only like a thousand of the Weller ones. So I got mm-hmm. up at midnight of the day they went on sale and got completely shut out of buying them. Oh. Because there was only a certain amount on the website and then there was the yellow version in the store, which is now going for, like, $600. Um, so I think I actually texted you while you were... That was your night of at St. Vincent and I texted you <laughs> something about, like, you know, why does Jack White do this to me? Um <laughs> And Paul's like, Daddy's home, don't talk now. I was like, I have no
1: idea, but I'm drunk and watching Annie Clark.
3: Um, So that one, you can find all the tracks on YouTube. There's a YouTube account called the Paul Weller Archive. They're, they're yeah. all there. So I have heard them, and they're fantastic, and I'm frustrated. And, well, <laughs> Paul has done this to us before with these limited releases, and I don't know why he like makes it so hard on some oh, of his fans.
1: Yeah. I should say a little bit of background on Weller. You already got into this a bit, Jamie, but I'll just give a, a bit more here. He was born in 58, in Woking Surrey, formed the first incarnation of the jam in 72, along with musical chums Steve Brooks and Dave Waller in '76, the band took off amidst England's punk scene alongside bands like The Clash, Sex Pistols, and The Damned, who we know is the favorite band, a friend of the show, Rob Jones mm-hmm. of Animal Rummy fame, and the other one, Mondo. Yeah. Mondo. So, that I found that interesting. He was contemporary of The Damned in that sense, and he, I guess, he also played on Peter Gabriel's third record, which I yes. just got finished talking a bunch about. On another show I do called Now Hear This, that record, which is just called Peter Gabriel, but is also sort of called Three and is also sort of called Melt, is amazing and wound up cementing a lot of the sounds of what the 80s was to become. So 80s gated drumming was invented because this nutcase, Peter Gabriel, told all the drummers, including Phil Collins on this record, I don't want you to use any cymbal work. And they were like, but why? And he said, I want to put you in a box, and I want you to be creative within that box. And I thought, oh, that reminds me of Jack White. (laughs) But yeah, Paul Weller's on that, too. And he's, yeah, like Jamie, you mentioned he was in the Style Council after that. And the original band, The Jam, disbanded at the height of their powers. Yeah. With the number one single, Beat Surrender, at the top of the charts before he decided to just change it up and move on. And then in the 90s, there was a solo career and stuff. So this guy had some huge success in Britain. But as James alluded to, he's not super well known here. Like The Jam is something that I sort of found and then kind of put down and stuff. But it wasn't, it's not like. I don't know. I guess the jam is the jam kind of like the MC5 of Britain. Jamie, is that a fair comparison or not really?
3: Not really. Um, you probably started off at the if you started off at the beginning, it might have been what your problem was. And if you might have started with them in the middle because the first two albums are like very short, spiky songs, and yeah, as they evolved, they got a little more kinksy, and by the last album, a lot of Hammond organ. Uh, Yeah. So, and moving into like a more soul direction. So there's a history here of them recording like Curtis Mayfield's "Move On Up" and the Heat Wave by Martha the Vandellas early in their career. So they they were actually their your real comparison is probably like a quick one era Who for their earlier career. Um,
1: Do you have an album that you would recommend people start on the jam with if they haven't?
3: um, I would probably go with the Gift, their last one, and that has a town called Malice, which most people know probably like from Gross Point Blank and any other movie. that's where the sound really sort of takes a big a much bigger form um and then hmm. setting setting suns if you're more want more of the kinksy era but that has a lot of big hits on it too
1: yeah so thoughts on the new tracks jamie you want to give us a bit of impression i know you listen to them digitally you don't have the release yeah
3: i know they're great they're pretty straight ahead covers it's kind of like you know, the best bar band you'd ever see if they would actually go out and just play <laughs> probably at a night of motown it would be pretty fantastic Nothing revolutionary or or he's pretty faithful to the arrangements. Uh, So he's been known, he actually has a pretty good track record of B-sides where he covers songs from all kinds of artists. And I think this fits right in there with, with some of his best.
1: guess, Jamie. Do you want to pick the second one here to talk about?
3: Um, so, kind of, yeah, looking at a timeline to, for all of these things, if you look at and even though this is the one I didn't buy, Gina Birch uh, of the Raincoats uh, released her yeah. first solo song, Feminist Song, and there's like a, a regular version and then a remix ambient version that I think is by Youth, who's a producer yes. who's worked with like Depeche Mode and a bunch of artists. Um.
1: Paul McCartney, as a matter of fact. That's right. He is one half of The Fireman.
3: That's right. Oh, oh God, I that... about that, yeah.
1: Yeah. He did huh. three albums with Paul, <laughs> one of which is listenable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> uh, but it's good. Is Twin
3: Freaks in the mix in there?
1: He didn't do Twin Freaks, but that is in the UC sort of vein. Okay, yeah, yeah that's what I'm thinking of.
3: So the Raincoats formed in 77 from what I, I did have to look that up, but they, they are a band I've known and have heard here and there, but they're very influential women. It's a, f- a female punk band, very spiky, kind of pointing the way to a lot of the of what is in also this collection. So I can see where Gina Birch fits in with what, yeah. I, what I think they were curating here or at least what appeals to the tastes of, of whoever ch- made these choices. Right. Mm-hmm.
0: When you ask me, when you ask me if I'm a feminist, I
4: say, I say to hell with powerlessness, to hell with loneliness, damn all those people putting women down. Yes, there are women in positions of power, but so many more in chains and drudgery and torture.
3: Because if you go from her to, like, the telescopes and Jesus and Mary Chain, Spaceman 3, like, there's a all that noisy on-your-way-to-shoegaze, really. Um,
1: that, yes, yeah.
3: So I feel like you the, some of the other releases here, particularly like the Jesus and Mary Chain 7-inch and the Magic Roundabout record, all connect back to the Raincoats. Those guys probably listen to them. This song itself is Fun and it does feel like if you like the raincoats you're probably gonna like this but um it's not like a huge like banger or anything
1: right yeah this is now this is her debut yeah solo single which is really funny because she's been around for a long time as you mentioned yeah in fact i think the raincoats toured with nirvana or played a few shows with them kurt cobain was
3: a huge raincoats fan That's actually probably how i first heard of them was Hmm. because despite what i said earlier i was into nirvana (laughs) like who wasn't into nirvana (laughs) they
1: broke barriers
3: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, but yeah, that kind of noisy, uh, the pastels was another Cobain uh, favorite that I think sounds a lot like the raincoats.
1: Yeah. You touched on who might be curating this. Paul, I have to ask, would you agree with me that it's probably swank? It's a, it sounds like a swank it thing. It sounds like a swank thing. He's also a curator of oddball music that you wouldn't necessarily have thought of picking in general. So right. he's, he's responsible for a lot of strange choices. In fact, I think he is 100% responsible for the Magic Roundabout stuff, because um, I think he found that record years and years and years ago, and uh, there's never been a release since or whatever. So
3: Yeah, so, I mean, that's actually a perfect segue. That's catnip to me. I'm like, wait, you found a secret Manchester band that nobody knew about? Um,
4: <laughs>
3: <laughs> so... You know, And just what little is out there now about them, there does appear to be, like, this was a band that if you were around at the time and you heard them live, you were just, like, blown away in an instant convert. Wow. So in 87, you would have had bands like the Jesus and Mary Chain starting and Spaceman 3. And so all of these noisy stuff that would end up on Creation Records. Like, I'm amazed that Magic Roundabout was not somehow on Creation Records because, like, early Teenage Fan Club and all of that, I think even some of Swerve Driver might have been Creation, but I think yeah. hearing them, they almost are, like, the missing link in that zone that's leading us to shoegaze because it's a very psychedelic, um, a little droney. apparently they're live like they were prone to all kinds of flights of fancy and going off in weird directions and that also Mm. seems to be fitting of the time uh television personalities is actually a band they really remind me of who had um one big hit called part-time punk that actually know more knew more through covers throughout the years than, than i finally found them but um
1: I wonder if that's a a reference that Bell and Sebastian made in the blues are still blue. They say part time punk in that. I wonder. Oh, if
3: absolutely would have been yeah that kind they're of all, band. They're,
1: they're both Scottish, eh? Or no, they, these guys aren't Scottish. I don't think.
3: Yeah, I think they're Mancunian. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah um, right. But there's but I think out, like a lot of the folks in that scene were immigrants from Scotland. Right. including Alan McGee, the founder of Creation Records. So
1: Let me read the official TMR copy on this, because there's some interest Of the bunch, Magic Roundabout is sort of the... I don't know if you'd call it the get of the... or the the major point of interest, simply because it is a bit out of left field. And in fact, James, there's a history of this stuff, as we know, going through the year-in-reviews of Third Man stuff. They find these bands that just mm-hmm. either never put out a record or put out one-off single and then just like really double down on them. Uh, like Algebra Mothers, I think, was mm-hmm. another one. That's the other one, um, yeah. yeah. So like uh, the official TMR copy says, like so many other disenfranchised kids in the heady days of the mid-80s United Kingdom, Magic Roundabouts came armed with leather jackets, charity shop instruments, singles by the Fall and the Buzzcocks, good haircuts, a healthy VU obsession, and a little psychedelic inspiration. in psychedelic inspiration influenced into existence at early gigs by the Jesus and Mary chain and shop assistants. The roundies as they were known, wanted to change the world or at the very least make some noise, shake things up and be a part of the happening. They established a clubhouse in early 86 and began rehearsing, recording and gigging, playing a ton of legendary shows with the likes of the pastels, the blue airplanes, spaceman three loop, my bloody Valentine. There's the gaze. inspiration barrel in spiral carpets? Yeah, in
3: spiral carpets.
1: And picking up a bunch of fans along the way. Rumor has it that Noel Gallagher roadied their final show. <laughs> uh which is really really funny to me. There was one song released, She's a Waterfall parts 1 and 2 on Mark Webber's of Pulp oozing through the ozone layer cassette compilation. And that's it. There's some more here, but that's basically yeah. the just...
3: Yeah, so Mark Webber, uh, yeah, was a big fan of Pulp who joined them in their heyday in the 90s uh, as a guitarist. Uh, awesome. The Inspiral Carpets connection, I'm surprised, is not being made more of, because when I looked at the liner notes, Clinton Boone recorded the second side of the record and Clint Boone is the leader and writer of Inspiral Carpets and then had a band called the Clinton Boone Experience. Um, hmm. But Inspiral Carpets had a, it emerged in the late 80s as part of the Mad Chester scene, which was Happy Monday, Stone Roses, 808 State, and had some minor hits in the States, but a couple big hits overseas. Um, and then Clint Boone Experience has one of my favorite Seven Inches of all time uh, the Earworm song that has backup vocals <laughs> by the guy from Travis. Um, oh, oh, nice. Cool. Yeah, yeah. Like Travis.
1: Uh, Travis, who we discovered, me and Paul, in 2007 with the song Selfish Gene. And then That's a good one. I, I couldn't get enough of him after that. It's great. Yeah, I have a horrible memory of playing that song on a loop after I had a big fight with a girlfriend at the time. And it was <laughs> uh, awful, actually. But it's a great 2007 <laughs> was a weird time in our, both of our lives, Paul. Uh, but f- firstly, to the Clinton Boone experience, I love it when an act just says their name and experience at the end of it that there's it's the best and secondly where do we stand on the london lingo that third man's putting into all this copy is it working or is like i want to hear a londoner's perspective on does this seem like some american asshole who's just trying to use london lingo and throw it around sporadically it's it's very funny to me I mean, how do we know an English guy didn't write the thing? Yeah,
3: It does sound I suppose to, to right. me like, yeah, The reading a lot of NME and Melody Maker in the 90s, it does sound to me like, <laughs> this guy read the same stuff I read. <laughs>
1: you know, I had no idea for a very long time that that stood for New Musical Express. No clue. Didn't have a clue. Sounds like a fun train. <laughs> Not a single clue on me. The band's uh, Carl Buckley wound up joining up with a group called Bike in the latter half of the 90s, releasing a few records on the Flying Nun label. And there are also a few Robert Hancock solo releases in the 2000s, which don't appear to be on a label or that might just be the name of the label. I don't know. Funnily enough, the drummer stands up and plays in some of these videos, which I actually noticed in a few of these, which must have been in the water in the 80s, because that reminds me an awful lot of the Gories when yeah. the lady is standing there playing, standing up. There's almost like a, a, a Baroque quality to some of the sound in this almost a Baroque pop thing in there
3: a little bit yeah And it feels like they still hadn't quite found their legs in terms of really where they would have gone but it's the one I've listened to the most because I kind of just keep coming back to it and it opens up more and more when I listen to it so there's a little Baroque there's a little psychedelia it seems based on the fact that one side is recorded by one person and the second side is recorded by another it seems like these weren't complete sessions or a complete album (laughs) Everything they did, but it's it's not like revelatory. But at the same time, it's like oh, I can, I'm getting, I getting, I would be curious to be able to go back in time and see what they were like live, just to see how that the impact was.
1: Right. Yeah, it's strange. It's like if you heard a like if the White Stripes didn't record anything, and then you would go back. Like everybody says how great their live show was, right. and then you you can't really get a a feeling for that sort of thing. Well, it, it sounds like they had a, a pretty. Great show. Yeah, I saw a quote that said the reason why we never heard of them up until now is because they were idiots. And that's not my <laughs> thing. That's their that was somebody's quote. I right? thought
3: it was because the everyone else was idiots.
1: Oh, really? Oh, I thought it was the person was saying they're the idiots. Well, maybe this is why we this is why we cite our sources. So we mentioned this band already. I guess what do you say, Jamie? Should we move on to the Jesus and Mary Chain? Yeah. Live at the Fox Theater in Detroit, official third man copy. When we asked the Jesus and Mary chain if they wanted to do a single to help us celebrate our London shop opening, they sent along a recording of their last stop in Detroit in 2018 at the historic Fox Theater, just down Woodward from our Detroit HQ, and told us to pick a few. While that was next to impossible, we think The Living End, Teenage Lust, and Cracking Up were the perfect choices. 100% pure feedback, distortion and buzzed out bliss
4: some said I was
1: Aware of the Jesus and Mary Chain, Jamie?
3: Yes. Um, in fact, I got a black eye at one of their concerts, and just Ooh. the day before Thanksgiving, in like I think uh, ninety one, ninety two.
1: I love that. Uh, I love that. That's great. Uh, please elaborate. Allow- I need to know. I need to know more. So
3: I was a I was a kid who would sit down, and go to get in line for a standing show, a general admission show, and I'd be first in line so I could be on the barrier. Yeah. This was an awesome tour it was the roller coaster tour headlined by Jesus and Mary Chain and opening was moonshake a brand new band called spiritualized which was actually oh, the lead singer yeah. of, of spaceman 3
1: yeah we know james uh, coe is friends with spiritualized that's uh, right toured with the dirt bombs yeah
3: and then curve who are also fantastic like the gar- many call them the prototype for garbage nice they have that sort of same similar sound but spike gear and then jesus and mary chain was touring on the Honey's Dead album, which had Teenage Lust on it. So I was down front the night before Thanksgiving. I'm just bopping along and suddenly whammo right in the eye. (laughs) And the bouncer grabs me. He's holding a kid. He's like, are you all right?" And I was like, yeah, I don't understand what went on. And he starts yelling at the kid. So someone behind me when this kid was crowd surfing hit him in the nuts and he decided it was me. Oh, no.
1: That's actually great, though. I mean, it's a great, like... Yeah, yeah, I so mean, I might go, as well.
3: Yeah, visit the family the next day. And uh, funnily enough, <laughs> when I, my, I said I had seen a band last night, and my family was very religious, so I wasn't going to say, I went to see the Jesus and Mary chain. <laughs> uh, my sister said, it wasn't Nirvana, was it? And I was like, no, it was not Nirvana. <laughs> <laughs> Man.
1: Holy shit. I, I, I accidentally punched somebody at a show I was at the other night, but it was completely by accident. This guy was, he's I was, Almost at the rail, and there was a tall man in front of me, but he squatted down to take a photo, and I was dancing with my hands up, and then he got up as my hand went up and then ran, like, got up real quick into my fist, and I was like, oh my god, (laughs) I'm so sorry. James also punched somebody directly in the nuts. Yeah, no, All I night. punched somebody in the nuts who was crowd surfing in the '90s. So got, got um, him in the nuts. That wasn't yeah, you. somebody else got punched. Oh. Yeah, no, somebody <laughs> else got punched for him. I don't know who it was. Some some guy. But um, yeah, that's that's great. Jesus and Mary Train is the one band of this whole list I had actually heard of before. I just never heard their music before. I I'd, I'd heard the name uh, attached to a lot of things, and I'd heard it just it was in the ether of of the groups and stuff that i was a part of but so they were started by brothers jim and william reed and they are were a songwriting you know duo as well and in 1983 in a scottish town called east kilbride which is a great scottish town name if you're gonna have one uh they released a string of albums throughout the 80s and early 90s starting with 85's psycho candy and ending in 98 with the album monkey spelled m-u-n-k-i There was a reunion in 2017 where they actually put out a new LP worth of music called Damage and Joy. Jim and William appear to be the only founding members still a part of the band, whose past members total a whopping 23 people. They toured that 2017 album, as we mentioned from the original third-man copy, alongside Nine Inch Nails, who had them as their opener in the U.S. that year. Their album... That one in 2017 was also produced by youth, which is wild that there is two different youth connections here. Funnily enough, their video for... Just Like Honey off of their debut album also features a standing drummer and I was starting to detect a pattern here it also reminds me a lot of the Black Bell's Wishing Well video if you mm-hmm. watch the two back to back they are very very similar and yeah there's there's a lot of that shoegaze kind of yeah. sound on these guys like I, I was getting a lot of that vibe
3: Probably their like most recognizable things are the Just Like Honey was used in Lost in Translation quite effectively so. Oh mm. really? Huh And then a lot of people know the Pixies version of Head On, which was probably one of the probably their biggest American hit, even though it wasn't a hit, <laughs> so to speak.
1: Now uh, I know Paul has definitely heard them because he had yeah. that Boston Translation soundtrack. I worship that sure. yeah. yeah, That had peaches on it. It sure did. Anyway. What, uh, uh, Scarlett Johansson, I read somewhere the other day that she had actually performed on stage with them or something, and that would explain a lot. If they were also in that loss of translation film, right. so either she had suggested it or it was just something Look, that they're she got all Avengers available. at this point.
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. That's yeah. wild. Yeah, I just Googled in 2007. It looks like they stated just like Honey at Coachella. Yeah, it, well, and Sophia Coppola directed that White Stripes video.
1: Yeah, that, uh, the very, very good one of uh, um, Kate Moss. With the, yes, with Kate. <laughs> that that very strange seductive one that me and Paul had oh, never heard of until a certain right. time and we're like oh this is horny this is very very yeah. horny <laughs> James and I are pretty big fans and we went our whole existence ne- i i had gone my whole existence never seeing that extremely <laughs> horny video and James shows me this thing we're like oh this is very horny <laughs> 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 spicy it's strange Top it's a very it's strange because it was like it's it's not put out there it's just on youtube yeah. but like it's just there <laughs> It's not It's not really out there it's, anyway.
3: Like, here's a horrible story from the the Britpop uh, format wars. So then they started releasing DVD singles, and I, I bought that one. I think it's I, – I just don't know what to do with myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the DVD single did not have the video on it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Burt Backrack has something to do with it. Yeah. You know he does. He's, He's very litigious. Like, look, look, the no, but it's like <laughs> the song was on it.
3: There's no video. So it's like, why did I buy a DVD? <laughs> 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 Uh, But for our our serial killer map we're building, that stand-up drummer in that Jesus and Mary Chain video is Bobby Gillespie, later to go on to Primal Scream. Yeah. And maybe one of the only other third-man records I own that they released this year was Utopian Ashes, his album with Jenny Beth from The Savages. That is fantastic. (laughs) And I'm like, why is this not part of the London release? Because Bobby Gillespie's huge over there. Primal Scream's massive over there and it's Yeah, yeah if you guys haven't checked yeah. it out, it's really good record, perhaps one of my favorites of the year.
1: So we have two more here. Yes. We've got, which one? Which one do you want to go to first, Jamie?
3: Um, Corner Shop is actually probably the record that disappointed me.
1: "Judy Sucks a Lemon" yeah. release,
3: yeah. So, which is a great song. So this Corner Shop seven inch is basically alternate versions of two other songs. "Judy Sucks a Lemon" was a single a couple years ago, and then there's a different version of a song that uh, I guess got was. Uh, It's called Constant Springs, but called Cork It. Here, it's just an instrumental. Super special about either of these versions. Um, I'm a Corner Shop is a I'm a big fan. They're best known for "Brimful of Asha," but the album after that, "Hand Cream for a Generation," uh, is super funky. I love it. Has lots of great tracks. The best probably "Lessons Learned" from Rocky One to Rocky Three, which maybe the best title for a pop single. <laughs> you know, Excellent. That is great. <laughs> that is very very good. So yeah, so I was pretty excited. For a, a
1: corner shop 7-inch And it's just kind of, eh, it's okay I mean, I'm all for look, I, I realize that it, this is just an alternate take Of a song they previously had But I am all for the continuation Of using a lemon To be a double entendre for penis It's very funny to me I, uh, I've never heard that <laughs> Oh, well, there's the lemon song With Zeppelin Um That is... So yeah, this band is known for, as you said, Brimful of Asha. It features Jinder Singh. I think that's how you pronounce it. T-J-I-N-D-E-R to Jinder, or just Jinder. Saying brother, Avtar Singh, David Chambers, and Ben Ayers, and they formed in the early 90s. They released an album, Judy Sucks a Lemon for Breakfast, in July of 2009, preceded by the single, The Roll-Off Characteristics. Of history in the making in May with their own record label, Ample Play. And they apparently collaborated, because I can't go through one of these things without finding a Beatle connection. Uh, collaborated with Yoko Ono and hmm. even had the MACA seal of approval on their cover of Norwegian Wood, which I think is lovely.
3: Nice. And, and on that Judy Sucks a Lemon record, they do a pretty a credible version of The Mighty Quinn uh, by, by uh, Bob Dylan, I
1: Oh. oh. I'm not am not familiar with it. Yeah.
3: Are you do you mean Jacob?
1: Yes. Uh it's the
3: wallflowers beside. <laughs> v- <laughs> Quite a double entendre, but the opening track on that record is "Who Fingered Rock and Roll." <laughs>
1: <laughs> Bazinga! Uh, I love that. Well, after listening to that, you'll need the hand yeah. cream for a generation. <laughs> there we there go. go. Um, All right, Jamie, what are your thoughts? What do you thought? You want to, or should we skip to David? Should we yeah, go to the, David? The
3: corner Shop stuff's fine. Like, as someone who's a fan of those songs, they didn't blow my mind. They might play it differently if you've never heard them before. I made both the Jesus and Mary Chain ones. I was like, these are cool, like curios. I, I, yeah. I do shout out to Third Man for like, pricing seven inches at actual seven inch prices instead of these $20, oh, nice. or $30. Yeah, so, yeah. so picking up a couple of tracks for seven bucks is like, I'm totally cool with that. And uh, yeah. The completest in me.
1: Although you would, uh, you would not hear that from Londoners who went to the shop during the opening because they did not list the tax. Uh. On the price tags, which apparently there is a very strict law about, and I'm sure Third Man is going to hear something about that, where you're supposed to list tax on the price tag. So when people would come up with their $250 worth of stuff, an extra, like, $100 would be added onto that, and they were like, excuse me? So I, thought, wow. I thought that was uh, an interesting An interesting tidbit uh, flub of theirs. Well, we know when they opened uh, the third man location in Nashville, they were just selling things out of a shoebox and collecting cash. And I think Mm -hmm. at that time they they I think Blackwell told us we didn't know anything about tax, and I guess they just never learned. (laughs) I mean, Blackwell has has stated like, or at least I I don't know if it's Blackwell, but somebody who who, when they opened it had stated like we didn't we expected to be selling an album every you know, a couple of weeks, somebody might come to the door and buy a thing, and we'd just, like, sell it to them. But it, it turned out to be hundreds and hundreds of people every day. So, wow. I guess we'll finish here on the David Ruffin release. Now, David Ruffin is probably the most known artist in this batch for American listeners, probably, because he was, of course, a, I guess I'll put leader in quotes, of The Temptations. So this is the official third man uh, copy, Motown Records. The Supremes, Stevie Wonder, the Miracles, Marvin Gaye, Martha Reeves, and the Vandellas, and of course, The Temptations. It is antithetical to mention any of those without the others. The community of artists that started as the sound of young America, but as history has proven, it became the sound, the look, and the inspiration of so much more. And now, little nuggets of Motown's influence can be found the world over. David Ruffin, founding member of the Motown superstars, The Temptations, went on to become a successful solo artist even after he left the group. In 1969, Ruffin released two fantastic solo records, My Whole World Ended and Feelin' Good, between 1970 and 1971. He recorded what was to be his third long-playing solo record. However, his career was suddenly put on hold when Motown, for reasons unclear, shelved the album that had been dubbed simply David. The record had even been assigned a catalog number and final artwork. Ruffin returned in 1973 with a brand new LP titled David Ruffin treated officially as his third LP and the previously recorded album, David sat on the shelves unheard for decades. Now it it should be mentioned there's, there's a bit more there, but that's that's the gist of it, but it should be mentioned that there was, and I found this on the Steve Hoffman forms. Thank you, Steve Hoffman forms that this particular album was previously available one other time in history released on a cd collection from hippo select in 2004 so this was released there but third man released a yellow variant and uh, black vinyl release of this and i found this really interesting i didn't know any of this history about david revan but i guess the temptations fired him after he got a little bit too big of a head out there on tour with the Temptations. And I guess the final straw came when he started dating Dean Martin's daughter and blew off a concert wow. to go hang out with her instead. And the Temptations were like, people moving up, people moving in, you fucking fired.
3: Yeah. Boo! <laughs> wow.
1: And then he rejoined the band in 82 and fucking got fired again because he had a coke habit and was starting to blow off gigs. And then... He died of a crack overdose in ninety one super duper sad, but ironically That's... there's the i don't know if this is the u k connection or not, but his final tour was of the u k before dying in philadelphia from the from the crack overdose so this guy had a tumultuous life, but certainly a master of his craft and I, I love the temptations i'm not i wouldn't consider myself a super fan, but I never even heard any of his solo material I,
3: yeah i hadn't either and in fact there, he's in the Summer of Love, uh, Summer of Soul documentary that came out this summer from Questlove. He does a version of My Girl, that's kind of nice. raggedy. So I was a little <laughs> s- nervous about this record because I was going in blind. <laughs> Honestly, added it at the last minute because I it got me free shipping. So, <laughs> um, but it's it's really good and it's got a little bit of that. It's got a tinge of that fuzzy psychedelic temptations, um, but is much closer to say like a solo Marvin Gaye. Yeah.
4: I didn't want you around you stand out in a crowd. Then someone picked you From the When Lance is a now it's much too late For me
3: Take us I find it interesting To listening to it That like uh, All the background vocals Are women There's no No harmonies With, with four guys anymore He's got backup Genuine backup singers Yeah I can't quite say Why they wouldn't have Released it from a audio standpoint it's not necessarily yet feels like it's totally sequenced as an album but then there's also a lot of extras on here so that could pull away from the liner notes it does suggest a lot of a lot of drama big head drugs yeah. cheating on his wife with tammy terrell so and and then it made me think reading it made me think of dream girls which eddie the part eddie murphy plays in the movie is believed to be mostly based on Marvin Gaye, but it seems like a lot, a lot of the Motown guys went through a similar, how do I break out of this? How do I get out of this hit factory and become my own artist? Stevie Wonder is actually referenced in here as, at the same time, trying to break away. Barry Gordy then just basically shuts you out if, you don't, if you're not playing ball is what the theory really was. Mm-hmm.
1: Now, would you say Stevie was the biggest success story of the Breakaways maybe Pro- Diana Ross too.
3: Yeah, right? probably Stevie and Diana. Marvin Gaye would, was close, but not as big I think as either of those two and he had his problems yeah. as well. Like yeah. Stevie in particular just seemed to skirt through all of those downfalls that all so many other people ran into. Was
1: that like. string of albums in the early 70s the one where he was like winning album of the year every year for like 5 years in a row? Was was that all on Motown or was that or break,
3: I, I think you know, he might have I'm not, a, I'm not an expert but if I'm remembering from stuff I've heard he did break away at some point and yeah. he, if you haven't actually seen Summer of Soul the Stevie Wonder performance in there is unbelievable like he's playing drums he's running he's going to different instruments around the stage awesome but one of the things
1: very carefully
3: yes <laughs> <laughs> he's
1: look he, he knows where <laughs> he's going he's got everything set up
3: uh there's an interesting tidbit in here in the liner notes in that two of the songs that uh, he recorded, including a cover of I Want You Back from the Jackson 5 and a song called nice. "Getaway Heartbreak, he recorded just after Tammy Terrell died. So particularly the heartbreak song, they feel like has some of that in there. You definitely hear throughout the record a guy who is trying to really express himself versus being part of this very tight vocal group. Like yeah. I think that's part of him pushing himself right out to the front. Mm-hmm. So yeah, there's lots of good songs in here, and doesn't. I, I'm curious to dive into the rest of his catalog now and see how this sits between things, particularly after those two bigger records but um he was definitely on the decline when this thing was happening
1: you mentioned the rasp how's his voice sound good
3: it sounds strong yeah
1: that was another reason cited for him getting sacked in the 80s was that his cigarette smoking had gotten so out of control Mm -hmm. that he was like destroying Mm -hmm. his voice i was curious in the early 70s
3: yeah i think i think he was his voice was maturing but hadn't like hit the skids yet
1: that's a thing we have heard jack white get cited for before it's too much smoking and and it hurting his voice Uh, honestly i haven't heard the david ruffin stuff yet and you have you have made me way more interested in it than I, i had been before Me on that note. <laughs> uh, what, what do you got? Com- what do you going? You want to plug anything while you're here? What do you got? We talked about Lady Killer already, but what, what else you got? What else you want to plug? Nothing. You got anything going on at Tapas? You want to talk about Tapas? What do you want to talk about?
3: Yeah, nothing really in the works of my own. I am uh, yet recently become editor in chief of Tapas Media, so working on the Studio Tapas side, which is the Western-based comics because it's a, a webtoons company that also publishes stuff from Korea and China um, and does a lot of importing of that material and working in collaboration with those studios. So I'm looking at working on the American side where we see what we can do with we have American talent, how we can expand the app to include more genres and different kinds of like personal visions. So it's a uh, very much early in the works since it's yeah still trying to from, you know, print comics where we come from to going into digital comics and doing it remotely is a whole other experience than uh, i've ever had before so it's been a lot um if you have uk listeners if this is out but uh before uh, i believe it's november 13th and 14th i'll be at thought bubble the convention in, in harrowgate uh doing portfolio reviews and hanging out and hopefully catching some bands
1: nice. nice now you mentioned western is there a risk that you might get shot by alec baldwin
3: <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> okay, uh, I, I'm not going to steal this parking space or anything. <laughs> oh,
1: God. I'm surprised there was no tweet about that from any large politicians. Anyway, um, everybody, go see Jamie. Everybody, get involved with Jamie's stuff. Jamie's wonderful. <laughs> Jamie is a man, a myth, a musical legend, and we really appreciate <laughs> you joining us on the show today, Jamie.
3: Thanks for letting me come. It
1: was fun. Yeah. It was wonderful talking to you and wonderful meeting you, and thank you, uh for, for sharing some of your insight on these, these great records thanks guys Thank you, Jamie, for joining us on the show today, and thank you to everyone who supported us this year. Mm-hmm. We've got a couple episodes in the can that we're excited to get out to you all for the rest of this year here. It means the garbage can, yes. The garbage can, <laughs> yeah. Or, as they say in jolly old, the the Blarney Stone. Yes, the Blarney Stone. That's what they call the garbage can. The it's Wailing a lor- Wall. It's a lorry. <laughs> Thanks everybody for supporting us. And, <laughs> They're not uh, anymore, not after that. <laughs> we're listen, we're gonna see y'all on our next episode. And as always, James, I will be looking for a home in Ben Swank's oxygen bar. And I'll be looking for a home in the Blarney Stone. <laughs> <laughs> see you next time.
0: Bye. <laughs> The Third Man Podcast was created, edited, and produced by Paul and James Kaminsky. Our theme song, We're the Third Men, was recorded by the band Radkey, who can be found at Radkey.net. To contact the show, visit thirdmenpodcast.com or email thirdmenpodcast at gmail Also visit at the third men underscore podcast on Instagram. At Third Men Cast on Twitter, and search the Third Men on Facebook. Thanks to our Patreon patrons, to everyone who has rated, reviewed, and subscribed. And see you next time.
1: Uh, but. This is via the Third Man Records official copy. Sorry, Eleanor was like knocking on the door and screaming. Oh. <laughs> almost done, almost. Done. What do we need?
0: Um, Miss Piggy and Kermit. Oh, hi, Spike. Think. And other Miss Piggy and the toilet.
1: Eleanor has a Miss Piggy and Kermit, and she likes to put them on a toy toilet, and yes. Yeah, <laughs> <the toilet. laughs> <laughs>
3: She's, she's a Kaminsky. (laughs) Zing. Um, Hey everybody,
1: Paul here with a quick message for you. As James and I mentioned many times on the show, this podcast is 100% not for profit and a labor of our love for music. We pride ourselves in bringing you interesting, timely content as we have these past 100 plus episodes. Podcasting is however, a weirdly expensive process And we actually lose money on hosting, time, equipment, advertising, and all the other little things that we need to do to make these shows for you. So, to help break even on some expenses like those, James and I have set up a Patreon account where you can, if you like, chip in a few bucks to help keep the lights on. It can be as much or as little as you can swing, and all donations are greatly appreciated the last thing we want to do is hound anybody for cash so just know that listening to our show is always payment enough but if you would like to help us out that would be amazing all right it's all from me remember you can head to patreon.com thirdmenpodcast podcast and a huge thank you to everyone who's donated already all right everybody i'll see you on the show And I'm Wayne Kaminsky. You are all invited to join us on a magical mystery trip through the lives of the Beatles every week on the Yesterday and Today podcast. This show details the chronological journey of the world's most famous band using music, interviews, and rarities collected since the debut of John, Paul, George, and Ringo onto the world stage. We're a fan-made production and we're available now on iTunes and wherever you find your podcasts. So, sit back, relax, and download the stream. We hope you will enjoy the show. Yes! 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 For better or worse, nurture my Taylor Swift uh, fandom, which is climaxed by this t shirt I have, which is ironically unofficial merchandise. That's that's so, ta- Taylor's version, you see. So, you climaxed, Paul. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> I mean yeah anyway um that's Jamie, great he Jamie he really doesn't know what, tailored yeah is. that obsession so, so Jamie but I Jamie doesn't know what he's in for today
3: yeah my my obsession was also 90s britpop and I even did a cable access show the the early version of podcasts on britpop so that also gives me qualification for this one we have to nice. save
1: this for the record because yeah. I want to hear Fucking all about that, by the way. Um, So are you recording, Jamie, your uh, voice memo?